Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. Uh, my name is Greg Brady. I'm the pastor here at Hope Church. And if I have not met you, if this is your first time here uh, to Hope Church, I would love to uh, just visit with you briefly after the worship service. Come find me out in the foyer. Uh, let me let me give you a little roadmap for uh, the next couple weeks, and um, then a little bit beyond that as well. We've been in this series looking at uh, core teachings of Jesus, core actions, core attributes of disciples, and we're kind of wrapping that up, um, kind of ended last Sunday, but I have a related sermon this Sunday. Next week, we'll, we'll kind of do a review um, on that, um, just going over some of the, the key things that we've talked about. And then not too long after that, we have Easter Sunday. So Palm Sunday, Easter Sunday, um, the kind of beginning and middle of April. And I'm hoping you are thinking of someone that you can invite to uh, Easter uh, Sunday. We'll have an egg hunt um, for kids. Great thing to invite your, your neighbors to, your friends to, and uh, uh, families with, with young kids. And then after that... Um, after that, we are going to, or actually, we're going to go through the Bible in, in about a year, um, just kind of preach from Genesis through Revelation. And we want to give uh, you different opportunities to participate in that in some way. For some of you, that might be reading through the Bible in a year. If you've never done that or want to do that again, um, we're going to be doing that as a church. And we are... Um, we're going to be having a few small groups for people that um, want to at least talk through the Bible in a year. You might not be reading every page in the Bible um, in a year, or maybe you will, but, but um, it, even if you want to just discuss the Bible in a year, we're going to have some small groups that will do that. Uh, probably will meet semi-monthly, about two times a month. Um, if you are interested in one of those groups, there's going to be a way to let us know that pretty soon. But I want you to start thinking about that. If you've never been in a group of meeting with other Christians to do some Bible study, it's a great thing. You make some, some, some wonderful friends doing that. I hope you'll consider one of those groups. Parents, we are going to give you some material that will help you go through the Bible in a year with your kids and talk about um, the major stories and themes that we see with your kids at home. So we're, we're putting together some things that um, I think is going to make this just a very meaningful year for us. Really excited about that. Um, think of someone that you can reach out to, invite to be um, a part of that, go through that with us. And um, we're going to start that. Well, we'll have an Easter Sunday resurrection message, but we'll start that either that Sunday or the Sunday right afterwards. I'm not sure yet. Um, but it's coming soon. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to start with, with verse 1. Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom 
all mysteries, and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does, does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. We've been um, focusing on our inner life, these inner attributes of a disciple the past several Sundays. And as a way to kind of give a a final look to to this, I, I thought it would be interesting to look at love um, through the lens of one of the most familiar passages on love in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, um, where do we hear this scripture most often? At weddings. Um, and because of that, we, we often associate this, this love uh, described here as the love between uh, a husband and a wife in marriage. But the interesting thing is that is not really what Paul is addressing in, uh, with, in, in the context that he is writing within, um, because he's writing about the love between uh, Christian and Christian. And this church that he's writing to in Corinth, um, they're, they're fighting with one another. I know it may be hard to believe, but some Christians can do that with one another. They can fight. And that's, that's what's going on in Corinth at this time. They were fighting over doctrine. They were fighting over how they were treating with one another, how they were celebrating the, the Lord's Supper. Uh, they were uh, experiencing um, kind of envy in the church over spiritual gifts and who, who received what special ability from the Holy Spirit. And so Paul writes this, these amazing verses on, on love. Uh, this passage, the scripture, talks about the value of love, the effort of love, and the key to love. We're going to look at those three things. Let's start with the value of love. Uh, one, of the, one of the marks of true wisdom isn't necessarily knowing what things in life are good, but rather... Um, of all the good things in life, because there's many of them, what are the most important? And I want you to start thinking about your priorities in life. What are the things that you really you know, elevate as these are the most important things for me to do? Or the most important um, ways that I'm supposed to engage in the world? So start thinking about that. Think of the life of a student. A lot of good things to pursue. If you're a student, I'm thinking mainly kind of high school um, or, or getting into college, you can, you can maybe get a part-time job to get some extra uh, spending money. That's one of the, one of the possible priorities. Um, maybe playing a sport or developing a, a, an extracurricular activity or a, a musical gift or 
acting, any of those extracurriculars at school. Um, one of your priorities, hanging out with your friends, right? Having those good relationships. And so far I've left an important thing off the list. And all the parents can tell you what that important thing is, students. Making good grades, that's, that's a good thing um, for a student to do. So your academic studies, right? Um, as you get older, some of those priorities may stay in place, but some may change a little bit. Maybe your priorities uh, shift to thinking about earning an income or being a really good employee, um, starting a family, enjoying, enjoying a family, um, deepening friendships and being a good parent or being a good spouse. Um, so think about your priorities in your note sheet. I hope you have a pen or a pencil or can steal one from your neighbor. If you don't, um, have these, these lines um, on your note sheet. Look at that. Left column, right column. On your left column, I want you to list maybe the top five priorities that you can think of for yourself. These are kind of action-oriented or at least reflect uh, a role that you play, like student, being a good student, or being a good spouse or parent, something like that. So think about your top five priorities. And um, once you've done that, I want you to start thinking um, about how we can actually ascribe a certain... um, value to those. We'll get to that in a second. So here's, here's um, a few things that I jotted down. I mean, somewhat personal to me, but also fairly generic. I mean, maybe these are ones that you would have written down. Um, my role as a husband, my role as a parent. You might be thinking, okay, productivity at work, you know, getting stuff done. That's, that's an important priority. Maybe community service, if you're community-minded or want to aspire to, to be community-minded. Life with friends, another good thing. Your, your list may be a little different, but those are some possibilities. Now, um, the right column. We can uh, assign value to these different priorities of ours. And there's no guidelines here. Just for fun, think of in terms of thousands, you know, just ascribe some numerical value to these priorities. You know, think of them in terms of thousands to distinguish these top priorities from other, well, maybe not priorities, but other actions that you do, like read the newspaper. Maybe that's not your top priority. Maybe that's way down your list. Maybe reading the newspaper would get a value of 10, whereas the priority of being a good husband or a good wife would be in the thousands, right? So think of point values that you could assign to each one of those. Um, I could put something like this. 10,000 is a role of husband and role as a parent. Um, 6,000 productivity at work, still really you know, high up there, important. Community service, 3,000. Life of friends, 2,000. Something like that. Again, reading the newspaper or maybe walking the dog. I'm actually looking at a one of our members that's a amazing dog walker. I was about to say maybe that's way down on the list, but maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe that should be higher on the list. Right, Donna? Yeah. Um, 
Now, here's the deal. We go through life with our numbered list, and I think that's good. Um, if my life were to become all about reading the newspaper, or if my life, personally speaking, if it were all about hanging out with my friends, uh, I, I'd, I'd have some problems, right? Because I've got some things that are even a little more important than that that I need to really be faithful with. But it's good for us to come up with our numbers as a, as a guiding value for, uh, for, for us. But here's the deal. You have to remember that at the end of the day, God gets to assign a final value to what we do. Um, here's a good illustration from a preacher that I like to quote from or, or refer to a bit, um, Haddon Robinson. And um, he, he gives this great little story illustration. Um, imagine you have a $50 bill. Anyone have a $50 bill in their wallet? I mean, kind of growing cashless, right? But you might have a $50 bill. Uh, after the worship service, you need to go get some groceries. So you go to HEB. The checker takes out your $50 bill. Apparently, you left your credit card at home. You got your $50 bill. Um, he puts that in the cash register. A little time later, the manager desperately needs um, gas for the car, left her credit card at home. So she takes your $50 bill, leaves an IOU um, in the register, takes her truck to Circle K, fills it up, um, you know, gets about a half a tank for 50 bucks these days. Not even that. Uh, the, the, the man who runs the gas station takes the $50 bill, several other bills, pays the landlord who is coming to the door, knocking on the door, I need my rent. The landlord uh, takes your $50 bill, tucks it into uh, an envelope with a nice little card, sends it off to her daughter in college, and she takes that sweet little note from her dad and goes straight to the bookstore, buys a couple of textbooks. The manager of the bookstore takes your $50 bill and several other bills to the bank. And as the teller is counting out the money, he comes to your $50 bill and discovers that it's counterfeit. Now that bill has gone all over Houston and even in Texas and has done some pretty good things, right? I mean, what is that fifty? What is that counterfeit bill done? It's uh, gotten a quarter of a tank of gas in a truck to drive from here to there. It's paid some rent. It's gotten some groceries. It's expressed um, love to a daughter. Bought some textbooks. It's done some great things, right? But at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, in the end. At the bank, where only real value counts, it's discovered to be worthless. And ultimately, we're going to stand before God, and he gets to assign a final value to all the work that we've done. Look at verses 2 and 3, again, from 1 Corinthians 13. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, doing some pretty impressive things, but do not have love, ooh, 
I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships, that I may boast. But I don't do it in love. Wow, I gain nothing. What do, you, what, do you, what do you make of that? What do you make of that? I mean, we have to know that ultimately God doesn't need us to do all these different things in our life if we're not going to do it in love. He doesn't need us to make all these sales quotas and take care of clients and sell people goods and services and teach people. And God doesn't need us to do those things if we're not going to do them in love. So I want you to look at your list again. You can look at my list on the screen here. In the end, uh, you get to hand your list over to God, and he gets to decide what is really praiseworthy and what isn't. And if it is not done in love, it won't pass the test. So without love, I want you to think about the reality of this. We have these numerical values, and you may be feeling, wow, I did some great things. But when we stand before God, without love, no matter what point value we assign to it, if we believe what the Apostle Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians 13, and I think we should, God will take all of these things that we prioritize, and without love, he's just going to write a times zero by each and every one of them. And then those numbers in thousands become very, very small, don't they? So, key point this morning. Without love, all of my priorities add up to zero. That's at the end of the day. At the end of the day, at the end of, at the end of life, we find out what we've really done. And that's why love is so important. So let's talk about the next point, the effort of love. In chapter 12, verse 31, so one verse right before this passage that we read, Paul hints at something that um, I think we know intuitively, and that's love requires effort. Um, Paul writes in that verse, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. So he's talking about spiritual gifts, these special abilities that the Holy Spirit brings to, to Christians. And the word excellent there, if you go put that verse back just for a second, that, that word excellent is the word um, from which we get our word hyperbole. And uh, I don't know if you're an etymology nut or not. Um, I, I like looking at word origins and word makeups. And, and, and what that word hyperbole, where we get it from, is this, this visual of throwing a ball. Um, so those Greek experts would know that the, the, the balle part of hyperbole is, means to throw, like a ball. Um, and the visual is just trying to throw a ball as, as far as you can, as high as you can, over everything else. I mean, it's, it's huge effort. I want to get this ball as far as I can. That's the word picture of hyperbole. Um, and what Paul is saying, there's a gift that the Holy Spirit can give you, and it's just far better than all the rest. It surpasses all the rest. That's the one that I want you to get, that I want you to, 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 to desire, Paul is saying. You know, some of the Christians in Corinth were desiring uh, speaking in tongues or, 
or the special ability to hear from the Lord. We call that prophecy. Um, and kind of flashy gifts. And Paul's saying, okay, but those, are, those are fine, but there's one, there's a gift that just surpasses them all. And I'm about to tell you about it. And that's the one I want you to long for and want for and strive for. It's a gift of love. He says it's, it's higher than the rest, but you have to climb a bit. It's like climbing up a mountain. But, oh, my gosh, the view is wonderful. It's worth it when you get to the top. It's not the easy love that our culture often celebrates. It's not, uh, it's not Elvis Presley love, you know. I can't help falling in love with you. Where you just kind of stumble into it. It, is, it just, you know, accidentally happens. So easy, you know. It's not, no, 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 no. The, 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 the love that Paul is talking about is love that requires some effort and risk. So love requires more effort and risks on your part. At least this love that, that Paul is writing about here, not the Elvis Presley, well, I just stumbled into it, oh, this love that I really apply myself towards. Love is patient. Love is kind. Okay, we know that that can require effort, right? Um, real love avoids certain actions, and Paul starts this beautiful list of love um, by writing about things to avoid even when there isn't any offenses between people. Like, like stuff just happens when people get together. When Christians just get together, stuff happens. And, uh, and it may not even be an offense between Christians, but we need to exercise this love. Um, and so look at, at verses 4 and 5 again. Love is patient, love is kind. And then this do not, do not do these things list. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. So love isn't envious of other person's strengths or of, of another person's strengths. You know, we can really admire someone and then start thinking, oh, I really wish I could be like that person so-and-so. Um, but you love that person. So instead of being envious, you're really celebrating that person has those wonderful gifts. You're thankful for those gifts that the other person has because you love that person. Um, love does not brag or act too good for others. And I want you to think about, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we know that. Love isn't going to try to, Love doesn't incline you to try to make more of yourself. But it also, love doesn't try to, it doesn't incline you to make less of yourself as well. Because um, there's another sin in saying, because we're part of the body of Christ, we're connected together. There's another sin that says, um, you know, all these people, they, they don't need me. Um, they don't need I mean, I, I, they're much better at doing stuff than, than I am. They don't need me and my small little gifts and strengths. Um, that's another way of, of sinning as well. And, and love, when you love the, the people that you're with, says, no, I want to contribute to this, this fellowship that I'm a part of. I want to contribute. I want to give. I may be 
able to do different things than these other people, but I know my community needs me and I love them. So I, I want to support others. I want to support you. I want to be supported by others. Then Paul lists actions to avoid when there is an offense between people. So at the end of verse 5, um, Paul writes that love is not easily angered. Love keeps no records of wrongs. I love that. Keeps no records of wrongs. Um, because I, th- I think, you know, we have this certain theology of God that, that, yeah, God forgives us and loves us. But doesn't he hang on? He's got to hang on to our, our faults somewhere. Well, Paul is saying this love that God has that we need to express as well. It keeps no records of wrongs. Um, but in our personal relationships, that doesn't mean that you, you, you don't remember at all someone's faults against you. you, you know, you're just not brainless about it. Um, and I'll give you an example of, of that. Sometimes, or an application of that, sometimes the less loving action is just to sweep under the rug something that someone did that's an offense to you. And, and not to bring it up. That, that can be sometimes the, the unloving action. I'm just going oh, to sweep that under the rug. I'm never going to talk about it with you. Sometimes you do need to confront um, one another when there are wrongs. But we do that, what, patiently and kindly. Love is patient. Love is kind. So love keeping no records of wrongs doesn't mean that you just brainlessly forget Instead, you're always asking, God, how can I most and best serve this person in this moment? Maybe, maybe it is, you know, having a discussion about the wrong that has happened. Um, keeping no records of wrongs, I think it does mean this. It means you don't take into account someone's past actions towards you when you decide on your present actions toward that person. You, you don't think, oh, that, that person slided me there, I'm going to slide him in return. He, he, he ignored me there, he ignored me there, I'm going to start ignoring him. Um, it doesn't mean you judge someone based on his or her failures. It doesn't mean that you blow up at someone because of that offense or have this quick trigger and get all riled up because love is kind, love is patient. Here's how you can tell if you are masking real love with the fake stuff, with the Elvis stuff. Real love leads you to greater effort and risk. So just think through, are you, as you just kind of evaluate your actions towards others, do you see that effort and risk in how you're responding to others? Um, Paul finishes by saying, love always protects When you love others, you'll be able to break down the barriers that can separate people so that you can really support one another. And we often think of this in terms of of marriage, you know, husband and wife supporting one another. But but again, Paul is is writing to Christians in a church. Support one another. Watch out for one another. Protect one another. And I think this really 
helps us think through how paying close attention to one another and, and thinking how can, we can, can help, um, h- how we can serve one another. A, a new person comes into our church, how can we best serve that person? How, how can we be that, that loving support that comes alongside one another and say, you know, I know you're going through a difficult time, but we're here with you, and we will help you get through this. We have to think, how can I bring this protective love to someone else? And then in verse 8, Paul writes, love never fails. And that word fails, every, every, oh, maybe every other time, if not every other time, most every other time, we see that word in the New Testament and it's, it's translated as falls. Love never falls. Like, like love is not going to fall down on the job. Love is what moves you to look at someone else um, here at the church and say, you know what, you're important to me, you belong to me, and my love for you, is, I'm not going to fall down on the job. I'm going I'm to be serving you and supporting you. I'm going to help take care of you. And that means I need to make effort in my love. So, question for you, what effort is God asking you to make in love? And there's a little line in your in your note sheet, just can ask you to pray to God about that. What effort of love or even risk of love am I going to be making this week for someone? So finally, what is the key to love? Because it does require effort and risk. So what's the key to love? So look at verse 7 again. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, trusts in what? Uh, I don't think this means that love always trusts or believes in someone else without any discernment whatsoever because we know that, that people sometimes show themselves to be untrustworthy. So I'm not, I don't know if Paul's saying that love always trusts in someone else. I think Paul is saying, trust in Christ. The key to love is believing in Christ's love. Now, there's two things about this. This certainly means trusting in Christ's love for you. It absolutely means that. Now, remember Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth. That is height nor depth. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So that says that Christ's love is stronger, it's truer than anything. Like, Christ's love is the most real thing that there is. You think you're sitting on a real chair? Christ's love is more real than that chair. That chair, one of these days, is going to be disintegrated into nothingness, and Christ's love will still be there. That is the, the strength and the reality of Christ's love. It's the most real thing that there is. So 
So believing in Christ's love means trusting in Christ's love for you, but it also means this. It, it, it means believing that um, love really is the, the best way to live. Trusting that Christ's love is the best way to live. In other words, when we transition from this world to the next, um, we will find out that the way of love, I mean, it's the way, it's the rule. It's, it's how Christ has set up this universe. It's the way things operate. And therefore, when I make loving my top priority in this life, you know, I'm not being naive. I, I'm not living in some way that other people will be like, oh, gosh, you are an idiot to live like that. And you're like, no, this is the way of the universe. And I'm, I'm going with Jesus. He set the thing up. He knows how this universe works. In your work, when you make love your top priority, and, and then after that, you know, profiting your, your, your company, you're not misreading God's priority for you. You're not misreading God's priority for your company. God, God wants to use your company to add value to this world, but in a, in a way that is primarily loving. That is God's priority for your company. Um, trusting in Christ's love means trusting that it is, it's, it's, the, it's the rule of the universe. It's the, the true principle of this universe. The, the key to, to loving is looking at Jesus and, and notice when he was loving in this world, he wasn't just making it up and saying, huh, I wonder how this is going to go. Let's try this. It's like, no, I made this universe, and this is the way of the universe. It's loving. In, in John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says that the Son can do nothing by himself, he can only do what he sees his father doing because the father does, because whatever the father does, the son also does. So Jesus wasn't just making stuff up and going like, hmm, let's see how living like this works. No, he's like, this, my father is, is loving, and, and so I'm loving because this is how we set up the universe. It's God's universe. And because of that, Jesus said some pretty remarkable things, like this little promise Teeny little promise, beautiful promise from Matthew chapter 10. If anyone gives even a a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose his reward. Now, I I think about that. I think there's lots of awards out there. There's a lot of merit-based awards out there. The Nobel Peace Prize, that's pretty cool. Congressional Medal of Honor, that's pretty cool. Time Magazine Person of the Year, is that cool? I don't know. Maybe that's cool. Um, a lot of merit-based awards out there. In what universe is there a given a cup of cold water award? I'll, I'll tell you what universe that's in. God's universe. He's going to give out. Yeah, you get the. You give out. You get the. You gave a, a cup of cold water award. You will not lose your award when you do that. In God's universe. We live in God's universe. And we need to remember that. One of the, the most difficult math classes that I took in college was a differential equation. So you engineers know all about that. Non-engineers like the follow-up to calculus. Take calculus and then you get on to differential equations. And, um, man, oh, I would, I remember getting uh, exams back in that class and I'd be thinking, whoa, I'm not used to that, like 60, 55. I'm like, where's this going? 
What's going on? <laughs> oh, low test scores. And I'm thinking, what's going to happen here? Um, at the end of the semester, I, I see my final letter grade. And it is an A, an A in differential equations. And I, <laughs> I don't know what kind of curve it took for me to get there. But see, it was the professor's universe that I was in in that class. And he got to assign the final grades. It was his universe. What my is my professor's universe. And what he said, that's what went. We followed his curve. He got to give out the final grade. And so what I'm hoping you're getting in tune with this morning is that we live in God's universe. And he gets to give out the final grade. And whatever is not done in love, Paul says, well, you can think you, you're, you just knocked it out of the park. But in God's universe, it, it gets a zero. And likewise, whatever you do, even when it's seemingly insignificant, you live in God's universe. And that means, at the end of the day, God gives you that, that A, that A plus. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, thank you that you are the king that You call the shots. Thank you that you are moving all of history and creation towards your good end. You're building your kingdom, and you build your kingdom using the the building tools of love. And when we build on the foundation of love... We know that survives the life test. And when we build using wood, hay, straw, inferior things to your love, no matter how cool of a thing we think we've built at the life test, it goes through the fire and it's burned up. So will you help us to commit to living a life of love? Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and his love and his mercy for us. May Christ be our source. May Christ be our goal. May Christ be our life. If anyone needs to be reconciled with Christ this morning, has never received forgiveness of sins, Lord, will you speak to their heart this morning, inviting them to repent and turn to you and to receive this life of love. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.